Hi, I'm Chris Lockhart. Welcome to another episode of Consultants Saying Things. You know, today I'm joined by Phil, Bill, and Shashi. We're actually uh, addressing kind of an interesting topic. You know, you're probably watching this. You know, you, you've been a, you're interested in consulting, or you've been a consultant, or you're in industry, or maybe you know you're looking. But chances are, you know, you've thought about things like you know. How do I get the job, but then how do I stay relevant in my job? You know, is it, is it networking that I need to do? Do I need certifications? Is it, you know, another degree? Do I need my MBA? You know, how do I stay relevant? Is it simply reading a lot of magazines, for, for example? Um, this is a question that we, we tackled, and, you know, we covered a whole bunch of uh, different topics, uh, all the way from networking, which is kind of where we started, uh, all the way through the university system and, you know, should you get a, another degree and, you know, all of those kinds of questions that I know a lot of us uh, in consulting and, and in industry uh, often think about. Um, you know, you can always go, by the way, and check out uh, previous episodes of the podcast at uh, consultantsayingthings.com. You can also go to the YouTube channel and search for Consultants Saying Things. You know, and if you're listening to this on audio, well, I encourage you to go check out the video version of the podcast. It's much more engaging. So thank you for watching. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think it's an interesting question, right? You know, uh, how do you stay relevant as a consultant? Uh, you know, and there's there's a couple of different ways to look at it, right? I think in terms of a question, there's the, you know, um, you know, how do I maintain either my technical skill or my whatever industry specific skill that I have so that I you know, maintain relevance in the marketplace. But I think there's also the the, uh, the flip side, which Shashi can probably speak to. I know I have some thoughts on it as well, which is if you are within a firm, right, uh, you know, and the firm has a specific sort of go-to market sort of set of offerings or service lines or whatever, right, how do you stay relevant within that type of environment? Because it's no longer just about you. It's about how you are operating within a greater whole. So I think there's a couple sort of interesting things like there's the skill thing and then there's the maybe it's more politics i don't know you know that that other that other part well you know they always say that people get hired for their skills and they get fired for their soft skills right i mean that that's how you people get tripped up is their inability to shift from one thing to another typically so well, it's, it's 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 part of an individual uh, evolution as well um, companies needs to involve offering needs to involve individuals needs to evolve uh, and the one of the way you evolve is I don't like this term networking, um, but one way to involve evolve is interact with more and more like-minded and com people with complementing skills. Shashi, you said you don't like the term networking. Yeah. Phil, that's what you do. So uh, you know, I think we have to hash this out, right? So yeah. what's the problem yeah. with networking, Shashi? What what's the problem with networking? So I went to business school, right? Um, there is a whole notion of force networking. They inject in your head right from day one that you have to network, 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 right? And I think the force networking is something when I went to those networking events, I was like in a different zone and it was very difficult. When you know everybody else wants to network, the question is what you bring to the table. So you never form a deeper connection when you go to those force networking events. I think networking is more about something which comes out more casually and in an informal way uh, where you find a common topic of interest or you know area of interest and then you build deeper connection with people whom you meet. I mean it's it's tough to be out there networking when you really need a transaction to flip for you, right? I mean if I, if you wait to build a network of friends and 
professional colleagues, et cetera, until you need a job. That's tough because, I mean, you're out there with your hat in your hand saying, I need help. And uh, I'm sure they would love to help you. But, you know, you really haven't. They don't even know if they can trust you yet because you haven't even built that part of the relationship. Right. So exactly. What, so what I hear you guys saying is what people think is networking is really just professional begging at the end of the day. Yes. Well, yes. we don't. The thing <laughs> is, we don't want it to be that. And that was really kind of why I thought about this topic for this group. Right. Is that we find ourselves in transition for one reason or another. And it might be we're even I mean, you know, networking can be inside the company for which you work because you want to be in a different group or you want access to some other skill set or you'd like to work with another manager or mentor or something. There's lots of reasons you might jump from place to place. And having previously established a relationship with a conversation is a useful way to get to that. So, uh, Phil, if I can uh, you know, request, what could be the alternate word of networking? If, because this is highly abused. It's one of those word architecture. Highly abused words. It's another word like strategy. So in the softer skill word, I think network belongs to that category. It's such a highly overused and abused term. Um, well, the you, thing is, yeah. it, means, it means so many different things to different people, right? And I get it. You've got a negative connotation with it. And I've seen books written about this, right? It's like networking is not working. And, you know, typically what we get to that is we don't want to have a transactional relationship, transactional networking. I mean, and there are people out there that have to do that, right? But transactional networking is hard and it feels a little seedy. Um, I think it is way better to say, you know what? I'm pretty selective about who I pick as my friends, who I pick as I want to spend some time with. And that is kind of what I do, right? You know, it's like Chris and I have talked, you know, you go out and have a cigar with someone or go have a drink with someone. I'm selective about how I do that, who I do that with and how I do it because I don't have time for everybody in the world. But I'd also say I want to I want to surround myself with quality people so that, you know, we can have some great conversations. And if I might need something, they're a resource and I'd happy to be a resource for them. No, I, I think I, I like there are two things which you highlighted. One is transactional networking versus relationship networking. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's very relevant to our consulting world as well. I call as uh, trans building transactional relationship with your clients, which means there is an opportunity and you are responding to an opportunity. And then right now I'm in a situation where they think that I'm also, you know, our architecture project was put on hold because client is come back with the perception that we are trying to sell them a million dollar project, which is not the case. I, you know, genuinely feel they need need these environments right now. So I feel, uh, you know, building transactional relationship should be should not be encouraged. It should be a deeper relationship. Right. But yeah. I mean, are there, are there roles, though? Like, are there, like, for example, I think of, like, the stereotypical sort of software sales guy, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. or any kind of sales guy, right? That seems like that's very transactional. It's very in the now. It's not necessarily, or the, in my experience previously, right, it's not been, like, they work you know, to have sort of that building uh, relationship with you and then pull the trigger when it's needed. It's very much like I'm swinging into town. I'll buy you lunch. Oh, by the way, would you like to buy, you know, $500,000 worth of, uh, you know, the whatever, the gonculator gadget, whatever it is, right? And so, I mean, you know, is it a role-based thing? Because 
you know, you know, that CD part of it, Phil, that you were talking about, right? I mean, it's, we've all seen it. It's so there. Another brilliant point you raised, Chris, uh, you, I want to highlight what you said is you build a skill to satisfy a specific role, not necessarily you have that skill. That's when it becomes artificial. Um, when you are trying to be someone who you are not, that's when it becomes artificial. And then because typical car sales approach. Um, yeah. So to, to your point then, Shashi, is that, isn't that part of this, which is how can I be honest about what we are doing here? Right. And, you know, to Chris's point, if you're, if someone's coming in and this guy is, his job is to sell you software he is not really there to compile a dossier on your kids' activities in school, right? That's not the questions may be wrapped around that, but that's not really what he's doing, right? And the idea is he wants to see if the two of you can build enough rapport so that you could figure out if there's business for you to do together. I, I want to get Bill in on this because Bill, you um, you purchase you're you're on the buying end of the the spectrum, right? So, I mean, what's your take on sort of just on, on, well, on this specific thing around the artificiality of sort of the sales guy or pick your skill? I, I tell this to multiple sales guys. So I look at just people selling not just software, but software, finance, insurance, um, and also recruiters. Uh, my biggest message to them is if you aren't a technical expert, I don't want to talk to you. Um, your job can be a sales individual, um, and you may know something about your product, but if I can't sit down and have a mid to low level conversation that's that's bypassing the artificial high level, I don't want to talk to you or I want to talk to somebody inside your organization. Um, and I don't want you to be part of the conversation. You can listen in, but I don't want you to be actively be part of it. Um, I still believe, and I see this time and time again, my best salespeople have either been the people that got out of the way of the sales process and enabled that discussion um, and or were technical experts themselves and could have a very good conversation. And I always consistently bought those products and spent a lot of money on those products. Um, uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I think this is, I want to hold your thought on that. This is so much relevant in today's IT industry because the company I work for traditionally grew up being an IT services firm. Mm -hmm. But right now there is a whole notion of consulting led delivery, which means you want to be a consultant to your client and not typical sales guy who is trying to sell stuff to your client. It's the management consulting style of selling where the partner of a firm is more of an advisor to the, you know, the CEO or CXO of the firm. And then try in order to solve their problems, they carve out a little piece where they can help them out with. And that's what you are alluding to. Yeah, I mean, so some of the service about just from consulting in general, the best form of networking I've seen is let's just talk about social networking on the internet. And I'll call it a bit of networking marketing because I don't have a specific word for it. Um, but was going back through looking for some ERP consultants a couple of years ago and specifically found one consulting company that they had these videos on YouTube. There's a one and they were great. The videos themselves aren't great, but they provided a lot of information. And so when I look at networking, networking is an opportunity to display something or to teach something about yourself or to teach something about your competency. And I think that's what really sells you. So whether it's a, uh, you know, a tech after five event, when you're talking to somebody and you're building a relationship, that's the essential, the, you know, the essential component of building a relationship is letting people understand, you know, sort of, I want to say taking, taking, putting, taking the facade down, but saying, here's what I'm about. Here's what I know. So you can say, all right, I'm about that as well, or I'm interested in that. Um, and I found like from buying services, whether it's software services, technology services, consulting services, um, I really want to understand that the person I'm speaking with 
not only understands, but cares too. And a lot of that you can tell the artificial from the non-art, you know, from, from the real. You know, it's, what's interesting about this, and I didn't expect this, you know, things work in mysterious ways. But uh, last night I was watching um, a Netflix uh, documentary about, um, it's called Jim and, uh, no, that's not it, Andy and Jim. It's about Jim Carrey's uh, movie about Andy Kaufman back in the late 1990s. Uh, he made a point about, um, which we've t all touched on about the artificiality piece, right? Which is, you know, if, you know, short story, he got so wrapped up in the character of Andy Kaufman that he played that character a hundred percent of his time during the making of that movie out in public, in private, at home, whatever. Right. And so he lost himself over the two years of making this movie by being in this, in this character. So, but, but his point was about, you know, if you can't find the thing that makes you authentically you, right, then everything around it, everything's artificial. Yeah. And you come across as one of those artificial people, right, with an artificial skill set. And the artificiality of it all pushes people away because nobody really wants to be around that. And I think we have a unique ability as, uh, you know, as humans to, you know, sense fakeness. That's yeah, what it is, right? People, I mean, can, people can see through this. I mean, although those artificial skills people, they think that they're doing a perfect job at it, but people can see through this. Sorry, Phil, go ahead. No, I, I think I was saying the same thing, which, which is to reinforce Chris's point. We, our crap detectors work really well, right? I mean, most people's crap detectors work really well. And at the moment we look at something and we think that dude is not being real with me. It just makes us nervous to the point that we decide, I think I'm going to go to find someone I can trust. To that point, Chris, what I felt is there are, um, this is where the hon honesty plays a very big part. Uh, many times, let's say I'm subject matter expert. I know the content pretty well. So that comes very naturally to me. But if I'm an inherently, you know, natural person and an honest person, then even if I don't know a specific topic, for example, let's say I don't know anything about security, but if I honestly, you know, give my point of view on how I see a solution to a security related problem, then that connects with uh, my clients. Um, they know I'm not an expert, but they, I connect with them at a level where I structure it in the right way. So. Yeah. So that gets into something I had actually written down when I was doing my pre-read, right. Preparing, um, you know, which is basically this idea that, um, you know, you know, if we think about like, how do I stay relevant, right. There's, there's this, this notion that you just raised of, I, I'm going to be in a situation where we're going to be asked a question and I'm going to acknowledge, I don't have deep skill set here. But I have an intuition. I, ha I can intuit sort of a, or maybe it's I have a worldview or a framework or a mental model or whatever, right? That says this is how I see this topic, security, in the case that you mentioned, fitting into the things that I know about, right? So there's there's this idea that because because that's not everybody, right? There's a lot of people, right, that are very much um, I need to do the online tutorial. I need to watch the online videos. I need to get certified, right? And have all those certifications at the end of my name on LinkedIn, right? I have to I have to have all of that in order for me to speak intelligently about any that, that particular topic. And if there's a topic I don't know about, then I just don't say anything, right? Cuz right. there's the skill and then the 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 intuit piece. And I think both of those are maybe equally 
applicable ways to stay relevant in yeah. consulting because you know you can't you can't just you know wing everything right you yeah. need some grounding in uh you know some level of skill to stay relevant but when you have all of those those titles, to me, it tells me one, one of two things. It doesn't tell me enough about the individual, but it's an in, interesting indicator. So think about somebody who has no titles whatsoever, but they've got videos on their LinkedIn of them talking about, let's just call cloud native technologies. Um, but then there's another individual who has nothing about cloud native technologies, but has you know um, certifications from the cloud native foundation, certification from doc, X, Y, and Z. They have all these certifications. Well, when I look at it, to me, both of them, it's very interesting is the, the certs tell me one thing, like this person's gone through, they've taken, they've learned. So they have some level of, I, I, I have a, there's an information asymmetry there that I'm familiar with now. I understand the Docker uh, testing uh, process. So I know at least they've met this specific hurdle, but the person who's got a video talking about other things, it's, it's a, um, you know, I don't think you could have one over the other. I think you frankly have to have the ability to do both where you go and if you want to put the you know whatever after the end of your name on linkedin x y and z mb whatever it is um that's good but it says one thing but it doesn't say enough about you so just having those certifications aren't enough oh. to, be able to share knowledge and show that you can apply those certifications because it's a difference between understanding and knowledge understanding is i took this test i read the book i did this i understand it but knowledge is now i've applied this and i can tell you about the process of the application and the outcome of the application given context um, and so knowledge is really what's true when it comes, in my opinion, when it comes to networking and understand folks is when you can demonstrate knowledge as opposed to demonstrate understanding. People who have understanding are valuable, but the most valuable people are the ones who can demonstrate knowledge. It's, it's a, I think you know, it's a brilliant point you raised. All these certifications are primarily for recruiters um, that catches their eyes. They spend 10 seconds. They see these buzzwords that passes their sniff test. And that lands on the table of those individuals, uh, actual hiring managers. What unfortunately happens is many times you end up missing the smart people who actually have knowledge, may not have the information um, that do not get to your table. So if, let's say, if I am not a security expert, but I'm probably better at uh, explaining and knowing, solving problems about security as compared to other people who would have uh, some security certification. But guess what? My resume will not land to the hiring manager's table through the recruiter channel. There I have to work on those networking, which I hate, um, to connect with the hiring manager directly and have that conversation. Happened plenty of times in the past with me. This is a big field. There are lots of people doing lots of things. And I may not be Cisco certified today, but almost always in the technology field, there is someone ready to take me at the skill level at which I am right now. I should go get that gig. And That's then a really good point. That's a really then good point. use the energy of doing that job with those people to figure out what new skills I might want to add on top. That's my thing. I I just see too many people. I run into too many people that think, um, well, I need to get this cert or I need to get that thing or whatever. And I was like, somebody out there needs you just like you are right now. I mean, go, go do that thing and figure out what comes next.
This is not the same as medical doctor or industrial engineer or what. I mean, you know, we're not designing a bridge that's going to kill people or <laughs> Juris doctor, right? Right. A, to, yeah. a member of the bar, right? But this is an unlicensed profession. And the thing is, I absolutely agree that sometimes I need to add some new skill, right? We just, we bought a thing and I don't know how to adjust those Oracle whatevers until I've taken that class, but that's it. That's a skills acquisition. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, I would I knew enough to know that oh, I'm three hours away from figuring this out. Let's let me go solve that. Yep, I I agree with you. Maybe this is a shameless plug on my part, but I just launched a fifteen thousand dollar BS of Agile. Um, so anybody can take it at the WB3 Tech University. Um, we teach this amazing process called Waterfall, and it is the next big thing. Um, you know, as you, you're talking about the, the these, um, you, Phil, when you're talking about the industry, people thinking about having to get these certs, it just made me think about, I've never actually looked for certifications in a person. And it's making me think about, as you think, talk about networking and the changing skill sets required in IT, we talked about soft versus hard. Soft is what's going to get you fired. Hard is what's going to get you landed. I almost think the, the, um, the approach is changing these days. I still think there are some companies, I'll call them more traditional companies, that are looking at your search. That so they'd probably take somebody who's got Cisco ASA, yada, 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 over somebody who doesn't have those but has a better soft skill set. Um, but I just, as I've looked at engineers and even companies, um, you have some basic things you have to pass, but they're generally licensed things like PCI is well known. Um, ISO standards, those are very well accepted. But I've found historically, even with talent, people who have the most certifications on their resumes tend to be the worst cultural fits in a forward thinking organization. Um, and it's, you know, I'm being, I'm being, I'm not going to be hyperbolic, but I'm going to be very, I don't have enough. I wish I had more data behind this, um, but they can't really communicate well. I mean, the way they communicate is like, I got the cert. I'm an expert. Well, no, no, not really. Um, you have understanding, but, you know, help me understand your knowledge and the application of it. Because the worst thing people can do is they've done something similar before. So, therefore, they think that they can achieve that outcome again, which there's no, there, there's no, correlative, um, um, there's no correlation between your successes historically and your future successes. So, it's a, you know, go ahead, Chris. I'm. Yeah, no, I, I'm just, I, you know, I want to pick up on that because it's something I've written about before. I know we've talked about maybe sometimes before uh, on that that point about, you know, I just I really hate beating up on the guys with the certifications. But, um, you know, uh, it, it seems to me in my experience, it has been true that uh, in order to stay relevant in the consulting industry or even within an organization, uh, people that uh, tend to over-focus or over-emphasize those certifications tend to find that everything that they're trying to solve somehow involves the certification that they have. Yeah. Right? In other words, you know, oh, you have a problem? I'm Oracle certified. Guess what the answer to your problem is probably going to be? An Oracle solution, right? <laughs> it's the nail and hammer thing, right? It's um, And so my, my problem with that is, you know, it's not really the certification. that. That's an outward display of it's the diploma on the wall, right? It it's okay. It's it's taking that knowledge and applying it to a particular situation, right? It's a fit for purpose application of your skill set, right? That in a particular context, like, no, I, I, that means the most, doesn't it? Chris, uh, I I think we spoke about it a few years ago when we were working together uh, about higher education, right? One is skill-based, and another is, do you really need to go to university to get a degree in order to be 
get a good job on your own right it kind of boils down to that is it a degree which you put it up on your wall it's it's not graduating from an ivy league but it's it's what you make out of what you have gathered in ivy league is important because basic education what all the university provide is the same well let me ask you this and maybe this is actually so keep me in, in the bounds here now we're going to is a didactic versus autodidactic i think i'm pronouncing it right learning right, right. so 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 give us a definition of <laughs> your 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 fancy words right it's, well, it's like, didactic is it didactic? I, I I I used to call them dodatic. So like that's how I spelt it, and I was completely you, off. You 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 can't win county spelling bees. Sorry. <laughs> I know I'd be very bad. I was never good at spelling bees. Um, like didactic. So it comes. It's a there's a Greek term to teach. So when you think about didactic, it's your traditional. There's a teacher. There's people listening, and they're, con they're you're consuming some um, some content being displayed through some person, right? So your traditional teaching or, or whatnot. That's didactic. So if I'm sitting, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a student. I'm engaging in didactic learning. Um, but then you have autodidactic, which are people who learn on their own. So instead of sitting in a classroom, they're going out and trying to consume knowledge. So I'm watching. I'm either I'm doing it by teaching or learning myself. So I'm going out and trying to consume. Um, YouTube videos, consume Pluralsight, consume Linda, whatever it is. Uh that means that if um, if someone were listening to this today saying, well, where, am I, where should I be in this? Yes, we want you to stay relevant. Yes, we think there are ways for you to go about doing that. But it's probably not just piling up a whole list of certifications because we, that is you, can tell folks out there that senior people are not looking saying, I just need someone to check these boxes. I need someone who actually can think through these problems. It's technical thinking versus strategic thinking. I mean, doing certification is, it's, I don't think there is a, the way our whole recruitment industry is structured, it's, it's relevant, um, it's encouraged, I would say. Um, it's, it passes that initial sniff test. But then what prevails is your actual knowledge, uh, no matter how you have acquired. And you and I work for the same firm, um, uh, Chris, right? So I did my MBA from Ivy League. You went through more of the experience route. But the point is we ended up working in the same kind of firm. Then somebody can question, okay, what did I get in Ivy League? Chris can always come back and say that you spend like significant amount of money, but why did you have to do that? I landed in the same place, right? So question is not about it's, your success is not dependent only on which university you went to or which school you went to. It's a way to get you where you want to be. It's a proven way for you to get you where you want to be. But there are hundreds of other ways, um, you know, it's where you can reach your own destination. And that's kind of conversation I'm having with my wife now uh, when it comes to our daughter, right? Should I spend like half a million dollars or probably $300,000 for her? She's in fifth grade now. To send her to an Ivy League that's, for that's an education. That's an expensive fifth grade, Shashi. Yeah. I thought it was sixth grade, but oh, still. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's like you know, should I send her to Ivy League and spend more than quarter million dollars, or rather give her a seed funding of hundred thousand dollars and say after high school go go burn this money, and take this another fifty thousand dollars and live for another year, and let's see what you come back with, and if she's successful, guess what. Uh, she will have an exponential growth. And even if she is not successful, in that one year, she would have had the business education, which even Harvard cannot provide. Shashi, you said there's hundreds of different ways to go about getting there, right? Yeah. What are they, right? What has worked for us? Um, you know, so I'll give you what, what's worked for me. And arguably, this is not 
prescriptive, your mileage may vary, right? Um, obviously, but um, when I look at it, I, I'm drawn to what, what interests me, right? Um, and if I can find a firm to work in where my interest uh, can be something that we can sell, or if I can sell it myself, that's what I'm going to gravitate to. Um, you know, is is there some niche? Is there some place where I can sell something that I am interested in doing? Uh, because if I'm not interested in doing it, it's the artificiality we talked about earlier, right? I'm faking it till I make it, right? And nobody wants that. I don't want that. It makes me miserable, right? It makes people miserable to fake it. So I need to do something that interests me. I need to find a niche in which I can do it and have the... Uh, the permissive environment in which to do it. And Shashi, I think, you know, there, there are some firms yeah. we've worked for in the past where that permissive environment doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. And, and then Chris, uh, Chris, stop bullshitting. Did you really think that deep? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I wrote it all down. Look, no, I mean, I mean, not this when you are actually doing it. Oh, no, no, this is, paper. no. And, and this is an important point. That was sort of my last point, which is, you know, this isn't something I sat around and planned out like the next 40 years of my yeah. career. This That's is something true. retrospectively that I've realized this is how I did it. Uh, it may work for other people. And I want to go back to the, the Phil's comment, right? I didn't need to wait and to get all of the, the degrees and all of the certs to do the thing that interested me. There was someone willing to hire me to do the thing that I can do. And, you know, it, it took a long time to figure that, that bit out. Right. But it's there, it, it works. And so, you know, what interests me, is there a niche, is there a permissive environment for me to do it? And can we make money doing it? Uh, right. Cause you know, the last part is kind of, kind of important, right? Yeah. Great. <laughs> what worked for you, Bill? Me? What was your path? I, both. both. Um, I, I switch constantly. Um, the success of my career is because I can't do, I can't, I don't stay doing one thing forever. I'll be, I tell myself I reinvent myself every 24 months. So, so, so is that, is that something that, that, you know, if it was medicated, for example, cause you know, we do these things in this day and age with children that can't seem to focus in one area. Right. So are you suggesting if, if you were medicated as a child, like you would not have the success you have today? I don't know the counterfactual, although I can tell you right now, I was talking to my mom about this a while back. She's like, Do you, there was a point in time they thought about medicating me. And even today, I'm still thinking about like some adult ADHD stuff. But I look back and I'm like, if I was just being in the reason, you know, I went back and forth, like, you need some stability, but you know, I switch a lot. But I also like where I was going, if I was stuck in that path, I know I wouldn't be where I'm at today. The question is the trade off of happiness. Where would you be? You can never answer that counterfactual. But what I can say is through history is I'm extremely excited about what I've done, what I've accomplished and where I'm at. Um, so it's been I have two I have two master's degrees in undergraduate, but I've also left industry two times. Um, in the past and seven years of work experience to go do a startup. So it's, you know, I go from extremely stable to extremely unstable. But the funny, funny thing is, as I come out of all of it, I'm always exponentially better off than where I started when I began. Um, and it's because looking for direction, looking for support networks. And it goes back to feel like with networking and building networks is about building, finding, getting yourself inside of networks, social networks. What are you going to do? And I'm not using social network as a Facebook term um, that can provide you direction and support. So, so how, how did your how did your network help you, Bill? Or how did well how did you build your network, and how did it help you? There's two hypotheses there: a that you have one, b that it helped. <laughs> no, usually it's just professional begging. Um, <laughs> so, how did I build my network? So, I, I have something that's interesting. So, I always go when I do when I network, I network with a with a, an intentional outcome. 
I never go do something that I'm not going to take something away with. So whether it's interested in a startup or whatnot, I go and I achieve something. Um, then I make a decision on that outcome. So let's talk about like uh, where I'm at today. Frankly, getting into a corporate IT perspective and into what the level I'm at started in a startup when I left uh, Boeing and to go do a startup. And I basically had this 24 months I was doing a startup, but it was also a, um, it was time away. Um, in there, I was building my network in the startup, but I was also building my professional network. So an individual there, um, after I left my startup, offered me a job, which I came down to pods to do. It eventually grew my professional network to a different degree. Frankly, the reason I left Boeing to go do my startup was I wanted to do a startup, but also at Boeing, you know, I love Boeing in general, don't get me wrong. They're pushing me toward a, toward a management degree, and I had a mentor who was great. But my mentor was like, well, you need to start thinking about leadership and management. I'm like, I'm two years in here, and I'm more interested in job and C-sharp than is becoming a leader. So that is how Indian IT industry grew, right? So the only way for you to, 20 years ago, only way for you to be successful in any organization was you break away from being a technical person and start becoming a manager. And when you become a manager, you become, you are agnostic of any technological changes that happens. So you don't have to keep on learning. But at the same time, you become irrelevant over a period of time. And a time came, I think about 10 years ago, that the pyramid was reversed. There were more number of irrelevant managers out there who did not understand anything about technology. And there was no career path for those technology experts to grow. And then they had to shift their focus. And then they created this profession of architect, chief architect, chief technology officers uh, within the IT services firm because they realized they were making irrelevant uh, technology agnostic managers who don't add much value. I think a lot of those guys actually also became project managers, right? Yeah, that's what it is, exactly. You put project manager in front of your name, it's like... They don't understand. They don't understand what the difference between a project manager and a project administrator is. They became project administrator, not managers. How do you manage your project? I do status reports every week. (laughs) Tell me more. That's fascinating. I I need a... No, no, no. It's a third of the audience right there. Boom. Phil, I have two questions for you. One, A... How'd you do it? B, how you you work with you you deal with people that are 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 searching right all the time. I know you've you've you're on your uh, you know your tour right now. And just just a quick plug uh, right for Tech After Five. It's the five hundredth uh, iteration, yeah. right? Of yeah. Tech After Five. Yeah, five hundred so, events. So we've been at this five hundred events. Five hundred events. You've, yeah, you've heard this. You know, you've heard, you've dealt with these people, right? Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Questions. Yeah, so, and questions. we should do it multiple five so, times a month, right? The dab. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how did you do it, and and what what is you know what what do you experience today, and then we can get to sort of what are our what are our messages for for folks that are in this position right now? Yeah, uh, you know, for me. And of course, I start with it. I mean, this was always something I was doing alongside doing my consulting or tech gig, right? CIO gig. Uh, and my thing was always I was looking for people to help. And I, and I think that is a thing that just keeps going. And if you can find someone that you like working with, how can I help you do what you do? This gets you along. You know, you said I'm looking for work that interests me, right? So that is what I've done as well. And so when my gig was, I was, you know, I had a team of developers that was working for me. I had a team of, of architects that were working for me. I had a team of uh, folks who were doing um, 
uh, uh, infrastructure work as well, right? So I had those groups working for me. And it's like, these people need help kind of moving along in their career and are not just the people working for me. They're the people out there. How can I get bigger and help more people do it? So that's kind of what we've done with Tech After Five. And so all along, this has led me to this advice, which I give all the time to people who come to me and say, how do I decide in among all these things that I could do? And I said, find the highest quality people that you like the best and see what problems you can help them solve. And if you like working alongside them, you will do fine, right? And so far that's worked out for me. Do you need a certification to do that? <laughs> I clearly know, right? There's, I mean, I'm an yeah, unlicensed professionalness. I mean, you know, it's, it's just one of my things. You just, I'm just trying to solve the problem. It's like you, intellectually stimulated by what? These are the folks that I love helping. Let me go help them do their thing. Final thoughts then on this, you know, how, you know, how do I stay relevant? How do I stay relevant as a consultant, given the multiple paths that are open to me? the certification path, the, you know, ed the education path, the authentic person path, right? Um, maybe they're all together. You know, what, what's, what's the one takeaway then from each of us? First, pick a niche. Um, it doesn't have to be a niche forever, but pick a niche and become a self-proclaimed expert in it. Um, demonstrate your expertise by communicating with people um, and just keep iterating on that as you go forward. I think that's the best way to stay relevant. And those niches will be something that you're either passionate in or something that brings you money. Hopefully you're, it does both, um, but I think really that's the uh, how you stay up to date. Uh, you know, so I kind of gave mine, right? Find the highest quality people you can, hang around with them, solve the problems for them. You know, people with good, great problems and the resources to solve them. Those are the folks you want to help. Uh, and you can do some fun work with them. So I, I think that works all the time. So I think um, figure out on your own. First, you need to know who you are. Um, what your core capabilities are and um, what's your identity and what works for you. Are you that didactic person or an autodidactic person? Um, so those are the things which you need to figure out. Um, and then I think certification, you completely should not outrule certification. It's a way to gain some, uh, you know, skills, but it's not a way where you can demonstrate your knowledge. Uh, nothing can replace uh, the experience. Uh, education is one medium for you to consume knowledge. Uh, if that works for you, go for it. Uh, but at the end of the day, you need to figure out what works for you. Yeah, I, you know, I think my my sort of takeaway is sort of a blend of a lot of these. Um, I, I'm working with uh, someone right now, and you know, this this person is 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 right on their initial reaction to a lot of things, but has never been in a position where um, they've had the freedom to sort of run with that. You had to have gone to this school. You had to have worked for this firm. You had to have these certifications, et cetera. And people are just not trusting their gut. Right. And it's like, yeah, yeah maybe your intuition isn't always a hundred percent on, on point. I get it. Uh, maybe some people don't have that, that sense. That's also probably true, but I think, you know, it, what do they say on the SATs? You're the first, the first multiple choice that you come across and the first one that you look at, and select is probably the most accurate. Don't go back and, and second guess yourself. Think right. People are not trusting their gut. And so my, my takeaway would be trust your gut, right? Uh, trust your instinct. If you, you're in the position that you're in because something led you there, whether it was you know the niche or the people or the education, whatever, you're in a position, trust your instincts. Um, 
they're probably right more often than they're wrong. And I think that's, that's to me, how you stay relevant uh, in consulting or frankly, in a lot of, in a lot of different disciplines. So that'd be, that'd be my takeaway. All right. Well, good guys. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Appreciate the time. Shashi, I know you had uh, your battery die on you and you transferred to your phone, but that's okay. You still look good, even though you're like eight bit, eight bit. Hey, I eight evolved. Bit I, yeah. I, I evolved. You evolved. <laughs> it's Nintendo Shashi. Excellent. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you guys for thank watching. You. I'm Chris Lockhart. This was Consultants Saying Things. We'll see everybody next time. Yeah.